0: How do you know you're in a flat world when your Hungarian cab driver has his own website in Magyar, German, and English with music? <laughs> so, so basically, I'm seeing, and I think this is something economists haven't fully captured, some incredible mix and match em companies now being created by individuals. I think we're just at the beginning of this. It's going to lead to a huge explosion of productivity. Um, that was basically the first thing that happened to kind of flatten the world. I'll be with you in a second. Um, second thing that, that sort of came together right around the year 2000 is that we all changed our habits to adjust to this flat world. We're all now in the process of what I would call horizontalizing ourselves. Now I actually learned about this quite accidentally when I was just starting to write the book. Um, my, uh, my, we live in Bethesda, I said. My, my oldest daughter at the time was going to school in New Haven, Connecticut. To get from Bethesda, Maryland, to New Haven, Connecticut is a huge pain in the behind. You have to drive 50 minutes to Baltimore Airport, then take Southwest Airlines from Baltimore to Hartford, and then drive one hour from Hartford to New Haven. I could, I could practically go to London quicker. Never mind, um, uh, I, I you know, got used to the trip. Now, to actually make this trip, as I said, there was only one airline that flew there, Southwest Airlines. Um, as many of you may know, Southwest Airlines is El Chipo Airlines. And um, they don't have uh, reserve seats on Southwest Airlines. You just get a ticket This is A, B, or C. A's board first, B's board second, C's board last. The only thing you need to know about Southwest Airlines is you do not want to be a C, okay? <laughs> and especially if you're carrying two bags of spring clothing for your daughter and you want to have room above the seat, not get stuck in the middle. No problem, I'm a hip guy, so I got the e-ticket thing ahead of time, but just in case I got to Baltimore Airport 95 minutes before my flight, because I was going to be an A. Um, Got to the airport, took out my Visa card, stuck it into the Southwest e-ticket machine, and it came out, and it said, B. And I said, son of a, this thing is fixed. This is rigged. This is worse than Las Vegas. There is no way I'm a B. I'm here 95 minutes before this flight. There is no way I'm a a B. Ooh, I was mad. Went and got my Cinnabon and sat in the back of the B line, <laughs> stewing. Ooh. Well, 45 minutes went by and then they called the flight and then I saw it. Then I saw it. All the, all the A's seemed to be getting on, c- c- carrying what looked to me like just crumpled white home printer paper. As if they had gone online at 12.01 a.m. the night before and downloaded and printed out their own barcodes and boarding passes and taken up all the A seats. Well, what I didn't know was that Southwest Airlines knew the world is flat, and it could interface with its customers horizontally now, not vertically, and it could empower them to go online at 12.01 a.m. before any flight, download and print out their own barcode and boarding pass, and take up all the ACs. So I looked at that. I said, friends, Friedman, you are so 20th century. You are so Globalization 2.0, I mean, think about it. Globalization 1.0, you know, there was a ticket agent who used to go down to K Street, pull a number, thank you ma'am, I want to go to Hartford, you know, got my ticket. Globalization 2.0 was the e-ticket machine. We thought that was cool. And while you were sleeping, while you were sleeping, you, the individual, became your own ticket agent. Or to look at it another way, you, the individual, became an employee of Southwest Airlines. (laughs) or to look at it still another way, if you have to value your own time, staying up at 12.01 a.m. the night before, you are now paying Southwest Airlines to be their employee. <laughs> have a nice day, okay? <laughs> so, so next time I get smart, I download, print out my own barcode and boarding pass. I get to Baltimore airport 65 minutes before my flight. And when I do, I capture 30 minutes of productivity. That move from vertical to horizontal is happening in a million companies in a million places all over the world now. And when we get to the other side of it, there's gonna be a huge productivity boost. Now just to conclude, there was one last thing that happened right around the year 2000. Just when we created this flat world platform, just when we created the new horizontal habits to start to take advantage of it, guess what happened? The world opened up and three billion new players called India, China, and the former Soviet empire opened up and their people walked onto the flat world. And when did they arrive? As I say, just when it had been flattened, just when their young people could compete, connect, and collaborate more cheaply, efficiently, and productively than ever before. Simple argument of this book that this new platform, with these new habits of horizontalization, with these three billion new players, is really gonna shape the brief history of the 21st century. Carly Fiorina, uh, the former head of HP, I interviewed her in doing the book, and she said something to me that really struck in my mind. She said, you know, Tom, everything we called the IT revolution all these years, these previous 20 years, sorry to tell you, that was just the warm-up act. That was just the sharpening and distribution of the tools of collaboration and the creation, I would argue, of this kind of flat world platform for collaboration. What you are now about to see is the real IT revolution. So fasten your seat belts, put your seat backs and tray tables into a fixed and upright position because the world is flat. Thank you very much. Yeah, yes. I know. I just only had 45 minutes. Oh, so. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, questions, please. Ladies first, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, sir, my name is Rania, uh, and I'm a graduate student at Georgetown University. Uh, and the question I wanted to ask you is you uh, sort of spent time telling us that while you were sleeping, sort of obviously a lot of events happened in the world, including collaboration, globalization, et cetera. And now that your eyes are open, I'm curious to ask you if you were to look at the issues today. How would you connect the dots and what do you see looking forward? Good question. Um, I, I, see, uh, I see several things. Um, the first thing I would say, especially to a group like this, is that um, historically, you know, the biggest competition in the world, we always said, was between countries and countries or between companies and companies. So it was, you know, Taiwan versus Thailand or it was IBM versus Microsoft. Um, That that still exists, of course, but I think actually the biggest competition in the world going forward is gonna be between you and your own imagination. Because when the world is this flat, what individuals imagine really matters because they can now act on that imagination more cheaply, easily, and efficiently than ever before. That guy in Peru imagined he'd get his dishes made in China. He can actually do that as an individual. Um, the cab driver, in, and I can give you a million more examples of this. So the first thing I'd say is that imagination, what people imagine, and of course, some people imagine 9-11, some people imagine 11-9. Some people imagine the fall of the Berlin Wall, and some people imagine the fall of the Twin Towers. But individual imagination really matters more than ever. By the way, just as an aside, it's why I'm a huge believer in liberal arts, because where does imagination come from? Uh, Imagination gets sparked by studying so many things, art, music, literature, and applying one specialty to another. (coughs) The most creative engineers I know are people who studied computer science and read Hamlet and understand, therefore, not only what to do with content, but how to generate it. And so I think imagination, first thing I'd say is imagination really matters. Second thing I'd say is that um, uh, kind of an iron rule of activism that I have for this flat world is that if it's not happening, it's because you're not doing it. There's nobody to blame anymore. Um, You heard the green folks, is anything stopping you from starting a green movement, a green website, collaborating with people all over the world on a climate change initiative? And when the world gets this flat, if it's not happening, it's because you're not doing it. The third thing I'd say is that um, how you do it, how you live your life or do your business, really is gonna matter so much more when the world is flat. Because there's so fewer places to hide. People will be able to look into you and what you do, or into me, so much better. I'm actually i gonna write about this sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the way I can explain it to you is that um, I was actually teaching up in Boston a few years ago. and I was at Boston Airport and, um, after class and uh, went to buy a magazine. <laughs> I came to the magazine stand and a woman came from here and I thought I got there first. I put down my money and she said, excuse me, I was here first. I said, I'm really sorry. I, I really think I got here first, I remember standing here. And she was looking at me like I know who you are. If that happened today, I'd say, ma'am, could I buy your magazine? Could I take you to lunch? Could I shine your shoes? Because there's probably fifty percent chance she either has a blog or a camera in her cell phone. Okay. And she's gonna tell the whole world what a rude, arrogant ogre is Tom Friedman at the New York Times. We are so much more transparent. And not just people who live and work in the public eye, but all of you. When my generation got to write, uh, when I applied for my first job, I wrote a resume. My friend, Dove Seidman, has just written a book about this. It's called How. It's just come out. I urge you to read it. And the theme of it is how you live your life, how you conduct your business, it's gonna matter so much more when the world is this transparent. So when I graduated from college, I wrote something called a resume, and I sent it off to AP and UPI. I got to write that resume. Okay? And they went through it, and they judged me on the basis of the resume I wrote. When you apply for your first job, oh, you'll send a resume, but the first thing they're gonna do is Google you. Okay? They will go directly to your Facebook page, your MySpace, they will see what content you've generated they will see how you've lived your life they will see how you write your resume will be maybe the third or fourth thing they'll look at don't kid yourself so we live in a so much more transparent you know mark twain said never tell the truth always tell the truth you'll never have to remember what you said you know and it's really important now because everything you do today ends up as a digital tattoo a digital tattoo it never goes away And so, how people live their lives, how they collaborate, how they say they're sorry, how they interact with others, how they do their business, this also applies to companies, is going to matter more than ever, Um, so be good. Um, The last thing I would say in relation to this panel before, which was, I think, spectacular, was um, when the world is flat um, and three billion people go in a very short period of time from low-impact lifestyles to high-impact lifestyles, which we've never seen before in the history of the world, if we don't find a cleaner, greener way to power your future and mine and theirs, we're going to smoke up, choke up, heat up, and burn up this planet so much faster than even Al Gore predicts. So to me, those are the four big implications, why green is so important, um, of the flat world for, for your generation.